Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Today we're welcoming Doug Castro onto the podcast, a music tech entrepreneur and founder and CEO of Finland's Neural DSP. Plus, he created Dark Glass Electronics, two fast-growing startups. Um, so thanks so much for joining us today, Doug. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. And um, whereabouts are you today? Where am I speaking to you from? Helsinki, Finland. Helsinki. Oh, what's it like there at the moment? At the moment, pretty sunny and nice. Days are long still. Uh, it's been a good summer. Brilliant. Glad to hear it. And, you know, how busy has it been this year so far, given that we're coming off the end of this really long pandemic? Have you been really, really busy with work and projects? Yeah, it's been it's been quite a lot of things uh, going on at, at the same time. So, uh, yeah, with COVID and silicon shortages, uh, we've been working pretty hard to make sure that we can uh, continue to build, you know, hardware and also working really hard on, on software for the Quad Cortex updates and, and plugins. So, yeah, it's been super, super hectic. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, I wouldn't have it any other way, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. It's um, you don't want to complain about being too busy, especially after what the world's been through over the last two years, right? Absolutely. Um, okay, so before we get into Neural DSP and Darkstar Electronics, um, what was your background before this? And you know, um, given I guess your education and your route into these industries. Sure. So uh, I'm a musician. I've been uh, uh, playing bass guitar for twenty years. Uh, and I studied uh, electronics after high school as well. Um, so yeah, uh, I would say electronics, engineering, um, and music. Okay, fantastic. So were you always interested in music? You say you play the bass. So um, who were your, who did you look up to bass-wise when you were growing up? Who were you listening to? Oh well, the first band I sort of started learning songs from was uh, Iron Maiden. You know, really early on, thirteen. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and then I would say a couple of years later, I found uh, Dream Theater, Stradivarius, uh, and a lot of Finnish metal bands, actually. So that's why I ended up uh, moving to Finland uh, a few years ago, because I really loved, uh, most of my favorite bands were from here. So I thought I'd come here and figure out what was it all about. Um, and here we are. And here we are now. Yeah. So what is the Nordic mu- music scene like? Why is it such a hotbed for mm. innovation? Uh, it's, uh, you know what, I came here to figure it out. And uh, although I'm, I guess, a part of it at the moment, uh, I still haven't, you know, found the, the reason. Um, there's just like a lot of people just love heavy metal here. I mean, if you go to a heavy metal gig, first of all, they're mostly packed. I'm from South America. Another difference you see here is that there's a pretty like even split between men and women who go to metal gigs. Whereas in, in Chile, where I come from, at least it's it's predominantly males. Uh, when when you go, you know, to see a death metal band, for example, um, so that that that's it seems to be sort of like quite evenly spread throughout society. You know, you see people from all uh, backgrounds and 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 you know demographics that just are sort of share this passion for heavy music. And I still don't know why, but it's uh, it's incredible. <laughs> it's great that there are plenty of you know metal bars here so you can even go grab a beer with your friends and listen to heavy metal uh, in the background so uh yeah it, it's just part of the culture i think um i really don't know why but it's it's a beautiful thing oh i didn't know that okay wonderful are you a heavy metal fan as well then oh yeah um uh, well i mean I, I would say lately my in the last i don't know five years my taste has broadened quite a bit uh listen to a lot more you know techno and jazz and, and pop uh hip-hop as well so uh, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm 
you know, at heart, a, a heavy metal guy who just dabbles into other types of music. Depends on the mood and you know what I'm, uh, what I'm going for. But but yeah, um, I love heavy metal. And you know, most of the music I play myself when I practice is progressive metal. So uh, it's sort of like understand yeah got it well i'm seeing the connection now between you know your music tastes and the the companies you've set up so let's start with dark glass electronics because i know you founded that one first didn't you so can you explain a bit about what the company does and you know why it's beneficial to its customers sure well um i need to clarify that uh, i i no longer own it uh, i used That's uh, right, yeah. dark glass was acquired by korg a couple months ago um uh, so i'm not speaking on behalf of them now i can just tell you sort of how things uh, started. Um, as I said, I'm a bass player and I also love electronics uh, um, and engineering. Uh, and Douglas is just, you know, the confluence of these two passions, you know, me combining these two things that I'm really passionate about. Uh, and the main purpose in the beginning was just to get the sound that I had in my head, you know, was to create the circuits, the amplifiers, the pedals that would give me the sound that I wanted to have for so long and I just couldn't get, you know, with things that were at the time in the market. Um, so it started, you know, very, 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 with that simple purpose, I just wanted to sound the way I wanted to sound and I couldn't find anything that would give it to me. So I just decided to try and make it myself. And it took me a couple of years to get from, you know, idea to to the first products. But uh, I mean, these products are still in production to this day and they're still at the heart of, of, of more complex darkness products. So um yeah, that's how things started. This is in 2008, 2009. So, you know, uh, 14 years ago. Okay, well, clearly gone from strength to strength than if you've sold it recently. So that's brilliant news. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and maybe hard to let go as well. Maybe a bit of both. Um, I mean, just of course. I mean, it, it, um, the big surprise for me after founding Dardos was that I, you know, my identity was always built around being a musician first and then an engineer um, Darla showed me that that I had a huge passion for building things bigger than products, you know, companies and, and teams and organizations. So I find that passion for entrepreneurship was a big surprise for me. I really did it very reluctantly in the beginning. I I did not want to be a CEO. I did not want to run a company at the beginning. But then, you know, as, as things grew and, and I had to sort of continuously learn and improve, you know, how to hire people, how to, you know, lead people, mm-hmm. uh, how to overcome, you know, seemingly impossible problems all the time on a constant basis. Um, that that newfound fashion actually, I think, gave my life purpose, to be honest. So without darkness, there would be, there would be no neural for sure, but there would be no me as, as it stands now. So, of course, it was a very, very big part of my life. It was my whole life for many years. Uh, but also in the last two, three years since Neural started taking off, uh, I had been mainly focused on this, um, which wasn't also fair for the people that were still working very hard and doing a really good job running Darkglass. Um, so this change of ownership, you know, was made sense for everybody. It was truly a win-win um, because now the company is, you know, owned by people that have more time and resources to help it grow and, and develop and become all it, all it can be. Whereas I was maybe a bit too... Uh, focused on on neural, um, so yeah, uh, of course it, it it's uh, it, it's a big decision to make, but but I'm 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 convinced that for everybody involved, it was you know a great decision, uh, me included. Mm. 
Absolutely. Well, it certainly sounds to have been. So um, tell me a bit about Neural DSP and for any listeners, um, you know, what does it do for anyone unfamiliar with it? What does it create? So, I mean, sort of on, 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 on a high level, the goal of the company is to um, empower musicians' creativity through technology. Um, in more practical terms, that means uh, always be in the lookout for cutting-edge technology that could be incorporated into music products uh, to make, you know, to help our users be more efficient, more creative in their workflows and, and you know, in creating good music. Um, at the moment, a lot of that is focused on machine learning, um, but, you know, it could be something else in a few years. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, on a very broad, you know, terms uh, what we do. Mm, okay. And why was it that you decided to found the company? Did you see a gap in the market? How did this happen? I mean, it was a combination of, of a few things. So um, my background is in like, you know, analog circuit design. So uh, maybe eight years ago, I realized that a lot of the big players, you know, Line 6, Fractal, uh, Kemper were uh, modeling darkness products in, you know, and, and adding them to, to theirs, uh, which is fair enough. Uh, but that gave me a lot of, you know, like a very pragmatic and productive sense of fear that, you know, Darkness was in a really good position then. We had built it from nothing to, you know, a company that was relatively big and, and you know, doing a few million a year in revenue. Um, but I realized that, you know, new technology can disrupt things that seem to, you know, are seemingly going very well. Um, and they can truly, you know, kill companies that don't catch up. Um, so this sort of started a, I wouldn't say like an identity crisis, but but you know a concern that then turned to an obsession of you know if we were to disrupt that industry that you know could disrupt us, uh, what would that company and what would those products look like? Um, and I thought about it for a few months and also talking with my co-founder Neil Francisco, who used to work at Douglas at the time. Uh, I think after a few months of just chatting about it, uh, and with Frank as well, our industry designer, you know the first ideas for plugins and the quad cortex. Uh, became clear, uh, and it also became clear that it had to be a company that was predominantly, you know, focused on guitar, whereas Douglas is, you know, solely focused on bass. Um, and that was a big part of why we decided to do it under a new company instead of under Douglas. Uh, we thought that Douglas should stay true to uh, to its mission, which was to serve bass players. Uh, and we also knew that this new endeavor would be inherently quite risky and capital intensive. So starting a new company would sort of also you know, allowed me to protect Douglas if things would not work out well with with a new venture. Um, so yeah, I would say this was in 2016, 2017. And a few months later, we registered a new company. And I don't know, six months later, we had the first plugin uh, release. So that's how things got started four years ago. Fantastic. Five, that sounds like another one going from strength to strength. Then, so tell me a bit about the quad cortex. So this is a powerful floor modeler so what made you decide to you know create this product and what makes it special i mean so um a big you know when 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 these competing products started coming out you know fractal and, and mm-hmm. uh camper and and, and and you know the, the helix perg line uh, i started you know buying them and, and trying them out uh, and i was very impressed with the capabilities these devices had i mean for for the price and the size they could do a lot um, but I've always, I always was very frustrated and puzzled by, you know, 
setting them up and, and actually using them without having to use a computer for like a desktop controller, for example. Um, and you don't have an engineering background, so I'm 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 sort of I'm kind of I'm not bad at figuring out things that are not intuitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and although maybe I could you know figure out how to use them, I found them like very cumbersome and, and frustrating. Um, so I thought you know if if a, if there was a product that had all the benefits of these other products, you know, in terms of sound flexibility, uh, the capturing pro- slash profiling features like Kemper has, uh, but was you know much easier to use than any of them, you know, like ten times easier to use than any of them, and at the same time was more powerful than any of them, and maybe you know much smaller. Um, I didn't do any market research, but I just had a you know a, a, an intuition that such a product could you know could could make a big splash and actually. Um, you know, be competitive and, and, and do very well in the, in the market. So that was the main reasoning behind the Quad Cortex. And this was, I don't know, again, five, six years ago. Um, and it took us quite a few years to go from idea to product. But but yeah, um, we pulled it off. And that was that process in itself was immensely difficult and, and super, super, super scary and, and, and intense for many years. Like we were all under sort of like crushing pressure, existential threat mode for mm-hmm. two, three years straight. Uh, it was a long time to be under under such pressure, uh, but it, it worked out. So, and COVID happened, you know, at, at the tail end of it. So uh, things seemed to, you know, yeah, I don't know. It, it was very crazy, but but it was also very great. Uh, it, it, it was amazing to, uh, because the team we had to put for it, like the, the, the unit itself is so ambitious and what we expected from it and ourselves was so, the bar was so high that we had to, you know, just put a world-class team together of like, you know, several dozen people that are all world-class at what they do. Um, and, you know, working with people like that and actually going through so much adversity with these people was like like an incredible process. Like the, the we formed bonds, you know, especially amongst us that got it started. But I mean, we'll be friends forever. Like it, 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 it it's something truly special to go through so much, you know, um, adversity and, and, and suffering <laughs> uh, with people. And, and, you know, it does two things. Either it, it pulls you apart and breaks a relationship or it, it, you know, brings you all together. And, and in our case, fortunately, we, we all came together. So uh, it was great. <laughs> oh, well, I'm certainly glad to hear that it was all worthwhile after so much effort and, you know, trials and tribulations that you've gone through. So I'm curious, what kind of feedback are you getting from people using Quad Cortex um, about how it is and how they're finding it? I mean... Um, it, it's it's overwhelmingly positive. Uh, if you look at the reviews on, on on the major stores, I mean, it's ranked. It's been ranked number one, or you know, in the top two since it came out. It's been available on, on you know Tom and and Sweetwater. So uh, it's definitely definitely doing everything we hoped it would be and and, and it would do and, and probably more. Um, and I think I mean, there's obviously always you know negative feedback and criticism, which is you know a lot of it is it's definitely fair and. and constructive uh, and useful um i think that the, the one thing that we need to focus on it's you know be able to um expand the platform and deliver the you know all the features that we you know want to have in the product uh as fast as we can uh but you know it's not a bad thing when people's main complaint is that we want more of this so uh yeah it's been very very positive and, and very intense but but very positive at the same time uh it's been fantastic can't complain 
Oh, that's great that they want more. That's what you want, isn't it? <laughs> um, um, I know you make um, a variety of plugins as well, don't you? So some of which have been used and co-created by top guitarists in the industry, including Pliny, Tim Henson, Corey Wong, amongst many others. So what is it that they love about these plugins and that they can't get elsewhere? I mean, so in, in, in this case, it's, it's different because, you know, we make the plugins to be perfect for them. So um, it's... It's it's theirs as much as, as as it is ours. Of course, we do the you know the development and, and the design, but it's all done to perfectly suit their needs, both in terms of sound, but also in how it looks and how it feels and the, the aesthetics of, of the product. So um, we focus on making the perfect product for them, uh, and then we just trust that uh, it'll be really useful and appealing to you know the public. And so far, that's already just worked really well. Um, so yeah. I mean, we we just put together all the features that they always dreamed of having in one place, uh, and even doing things that they couldn't get before, and putting a beautiful, you know, in a beautiful package. And, and yeah, people seem to be digging them, and they definitely seem to be uh, using them a lot. At least, I mean, Pliny uses it, uses his plugins in in pretty much everything he records. Uh, same with Tim, and same with everybody else, as far as I know. So um, it's very cool. It's very cool to hear, you know, these artists are some of my favorite artists personally. So it's very cool to hear the new music, which I love, and to know that, you know, um, there's a little bit of 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 what we with the team that that we that you know, me and and our team contributed to a little bit to to that wonderful music. So it's amazing. Yeah, the the plugins are part of their sound. That must be an incredible feeling. Oh yeah. I I already experienced it with Darkglass where some of my favorite bands were using the products and it was always surreal to hear music that you know I was blown away by. I know that oh yeah, that's the bass sounds great, and and you know I played a small part in that. Uh, that was always a, a surreal and an incredible feeling. Very cool. And how has business been over the pandemic? You know, just before, during, of course, and then after. Were you able to carry on? Did everyone have to work from home? Uh, it sounds like everything's busy now, but um, how was it during those um, main two years of the pandemic? Well, the pandemic years were very, very hectic for us because uh, the first year we were completing the quad cortex. I mean, we announced the quad cortex a month before lockdowns began. So, oh wow, uh, talk about timing. Yeah, uh, and 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 not only did we have to complete development, but we also had to set up a factory. And good luck setting up a factory <laughs> whenever everything's locked down. So, uh, so actually, laughing, that was that must have been extremely stressful and horrendous. <laughs> but looking back, yeah, today. actually, like four of the top people at Neural, me, Marco founder Francisco, and and two of our chief engineers sort of sat down one day in crisis mode and said, okay, we need to sort of divide the project into four key things. One was develop, like completing all the algorithms we needed for the product. One was completing, you know, the system itself, hardware and embedded software. Uh, the other one was to completing the software. And the, the last bit was to set up the factory for it. And uh, I pulled a short straw on that one. and I, I had to set up the factory actually. So that was my bit of hell. But I mean, we all, we're all going through different flavors of hell to, to get it done. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it was super intense. You know, you had to find a location, find people. Um, you had to be super partnered with uh, testing and, and masks and everything. So, I mean, we started making the product in the middle of the pandemic. So uh, when things were really locked down and it wasn't like, I feel like the last year was more relaxed because, you know, we had vaccines and, and mm. uh, a lot of people had already and, you know, realized that, you know, most of them were fine and also having it, you know, it, it's... Uh, Anyway, so um, I think I, I would have said like, if it would have been a year later, probably would have been less stressful. But I mean, it, it was what it was. We got it done, and, and that's all that matters. So, 
it, it was fine. Uh, Software-wise, it was really good. Um, the lockdowns actually were really good for uh, music companies in general, but when you did software, you didn't have the supply chain constraints and logistic issues. So software companies in the music, you know, in this space, did super, super well. All of my friends who are in the plugin business or music education business um, also, you know, so saw a big uptick in, in revenue. So um, they were really crazy, intense, you know, scary years. I mean, f- like like for everybody. But business was at least, it, it, it was challenging, but but very, very good. Mm. We grew a lot. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. And um, I'm curious because you mentioned it a bit earlier. So what are your views on AI, you know, machine learning and their role in the future of music technology and in-studio recording? Mm. This is my theory, but um, I think there's still a lot of room for making production easier. Um, and even music writing, but I'm, I'm not too, I don't think too much about that. Um, what I do think is that there is the cost of producing, uh, you know, world class sounding song has decreased exponentially in the last thirty years. You know, now uh, with a hundred dollar interface and and you know very inexpensive or even free software and a decent computer, you can make music that's Grammy worthy. Um, like, I mean, it's been done actually. So, um, but the amount of skill you need to for your idea to translate and you know to sound really good. And that's still, that hasn't changed much in the last 20 or 30 years. And I think that's the last bit missing for us to see an explosion in music creation. Uh, Because once the cost is, you know, close to zero uh, and, you know, going from your vision to something that sounds good enough to put on Spotify and Apple Music, uh, when when, when that process is as, you know, easy as taking a picture with your iPhone and putting some filters and putting it on Instagram, I think that's when everybody can be a music creator, right? Mm -hmm, So I think that that's a very interesting... uh, thing to explore it's a very very difficult problem to solve technically um and there are some really really smart people working on it um as well as us so i think that that'll be a very interesting um thing to pursue um hopefully we get there before everybody else and hopefully we have the best tools uh but regardless of who gets there i think um music creation will be i mean right now there's tens of millions of people uploading music online uh i'd like to see the number go up by an order or two of magnitudes, you know, have have that, you know, that number being the hundreds of millions or even billions of people. Just like now we have billions of people, you know, posting videos and, and mm. pictures on, online. Uh, I think the same could happen with music if the process of pro- producing good sounding music is, you know, vastly simplified. And I think machine learning is uh, probably the, if there's a way, it's probably with machine learning, but I'm not sure that, I mean, it's not entirely certain that these things are even possible. In a way, that's why we get out out of bed every morning, right? It's to find out whether these things can be done or not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, in your opinion, what are um, effective strategies for artist partnerships and ways to build win-win relationships for you? I mean, um, so what we look for artists, you know, to, to partner up is it's, of course, they need to have, you know, a strong following and a lot of visibility uh, and, and credibility. Uh, and they also need to, you know, have credibility when it comes to sound and, and people beyond more than just liking their music, you also need to like how they sound. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. a very, that's, that's not a very, you know, it's not the most typical combination. You, you, you will have plenty of, you know, beautiful, incredible artists that aren't just known for sounding extremely good. They just, they just known for, you know, making incredible music, which is, you know, amazing already. Um, 
So the fun artist is that, that you know that check both boxes. It's hard. Uh, if you're an artist, you know, looking to do partnerships with brands to add, you know, an, an additional uh, revenue stream, you know, generate some passive income. Um, I would say, you know, build an audience and build a really good relationship with that audience uh, because, you know, that's definitely something that they can um, sort of leverage later on to, you know, create products that their audience will love mm. uh, and help companies, you know, grow. And they also, you know, of course, help themselves by, um, but, you know, making a royalty from very successful products. Um, if artists can do that, then it's sort of, it's like a true win-win situation because companies want to work with them because, you know, they can grow their business. They want to, they can, you know, select the best companies to work with. Uh, and they also help create products that provide a lot of value for their fans, right? Products that help their mm -hmm. fans be more creative and enjoy, you know, the process of making music more. So, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, it's it's not like a strategy. We just basically think of where the coolest artists we know and then reach out to them. And sometimes they reach out to us. And that's just how things start. It, it's, it's a quite organic uh, process, to be honest. Now, we, we have like an intuition of whether a product will do well or not. Uh, we don't do like market research or, or, or anything. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. You've got to make sure the <laughs> demand's out there, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, you never know for sure. Right. Uh, but I think, uh, in many cases you, you kind of know. <laughs> mm, yeah. You got to feel for it. I guess when you've been doing it as long as you have, I suppose you're in the right direction. <laughs> um, so how's it been evolving from a software company to incorporate hardware? How have you found that? Well, actually, for me, it's the opposite because I came from a hardware background, so I had to go from hardware to software. <laughs> um, to be honest, I think these transitions are, are are not, you know, as hard as you'd think if you have an incredible team working with you. I mean, you have you have experts who have, you know, a decade or, or more of experience doing this at a very high level, whatever it is that, that they do, right? So, um, I don't know. We probably, when it comes to our engineering team, we probably have, 800 years worth of experience put together in, in different areas. So um, if you have these amazing people, um, it's actually, I mean, it's very hard, but it's definitely not impossible. Uh, I would say that probably the biggest challenge for us now is to how do you go from a software and a hardware company to a platform company, a company that can combine both hardware and software to create a seamless user experience. Um, that's unlike anything the industry has seen before. Uh, that's a very tricky thing to do because it's a multidisciplinary effort in which you need hardware, you know, software, and di different types of software engineers. You know, you have audio user interface embedded and native, and then you have, you know, a cloud team and, and mobile developers and web developers. And, and um, you need to sort of create, you need to have a vision that's, you know, both really good and that's also very hard. And then you need to figure out, okay, these are the types of skills I need to make this happen. And then you need to make sure that all these people are actually working together in perfect synchrony. And, and that is super, super hard to do when you have, you know, I don't know, a hundred plus people working from, I don't know, 20 different countries. Um, it's tough. Uh, I would say that that's, that's a very tough challenge. But it's one insight that I got recently is that it's hard for everybody. Like it, it's, it's, I mean, the reason why only super huge companies like Apple, you know, and Google create platforms. It's because it's very difficult, but, you know, if you have a huge scale and, you know, limited money, you have a chance of doing it. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot harder for smaller companies like us, of course, because you need to be a lot more resourceful and creative because you don't, you don't, you don't have infinite resources to throw at a problem. Um, but it's a beautiful challenge. I mean, figuring out how do you make all these wonderful, super bright and driven people 
work together, you know, from different backgrounds work together. It's, it's, it's super cool. Mm, well, it's an art in itself, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, definitely. And and it's one thing that never gets easy, actually, because the more you grow, the harder it gets. And, and uh, you know, problems that you have when you're small sort of disappear just through scale and problems that you never imagined you'd have to, you know, encounter are an inherent part of scaling up. And you're always on your toes and you always have to figure out how to solve new things. So it definitely doesn't, it doesn't ever get boring. Um, and that's a good thing. No, it's definitely a good thing. Keeps you engaged, doesn't it? Um, so what, um, what are your future plans for the company? Are there any exciting developments on the horizon you can tell us about? Yeah, always. I mean, it, it's, um, there's always like plans and visions and, and ideas and, and things we're working on. Um, I, I try not to talk too much about them because, um, things are tricky if you tell too much about what's about to come big one is that you're not sure that everything you want to do will happen and i'm not talking about any you know quad cortex or anything related but you know things we have planned for after that uh because things change uh priorities change the world changes the markets change users change um so yeah i mean th there's lots of cool things uh in the pipeline but uh, i I can't talk much about them, unfortunately. That's fine. I completely understand. Well, you don't <laughs> want anyone to steal your ideas either. So that makes perfect sense that you're keeping your cards <laughs> close to your chest, Doug. I mean, to be honest, some of these things are so insane that I don't think they're very like easy to copy. It's, it's just that um, uh, I think it's when people can, you know, get surprised a bit. Like it's, it's yeah, we don't want to ruin the surprise. Mm. <laughs> Okay. Oh, I love that. That's a great answer. Um, okay, then, Doug, I think that's a fabulous note to end on. Very upbeat. And um, I'm intrigued as well about the future. So just want to thank you again um, for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. You're very welcome. Anytime. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.